0: Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Max. So today we're doing kind of a a one-off series. We've been in the book of Ephesians and we will go back to Ephesians next week. We're taking a whole book of the Bible and and reading and studying through it. Uh, But tonight uh, we're doing uh, something a little bit different. So last week uh, I went up to Gordon-Conwell. This is the seminary that I uh, got my uh, MDiv at, and I did this retreat. Uh, and there's seven of these retreats that I'm a part of, and it's called the Ockenge Fellows Program, and it's named after Harold, Dr. Dr. Harold John Ockenge, who was the first president of Gordon-Conwell. Uh, but the Ockenge Institute was founded to, to help culture Uh, flourish, to to be a positive voice in our world and in our culture. And so this first uh, retreat was about ministry in New England, uh, some of the history of that, and then ministering in New England today. So I'm going to be preaching out of John 3 and share some of the things I learned. Uh, But before we do that, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, tonight. Thank you for everyone that you have brought here. Uh, we're so grateful. Uh, I pray that you would open all of our ears and our minds and most importantly uh, our hearts uh, to you so that we can know you uh, as, our, as our Savior, as our Lord. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I wanted to start with a question that each one of us uh, answers perhaps a little bit differently. It's this. Why are you here? What brought you here tonight? Why have you come to church? Maybe you've come to, to, to experience you know, some, some amazing music uh, and uh, kind of a, a nice time taking communion. Maybe you've come because uh, you know, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a parent or even a child asked you uh, to come. Maybe you've uh, uh, come because you think church is important, or maybe you're here out of a sense of guilt, out of a sense of uh, duty. Uh, I don't know. We all come for a different reason. I'm here for the cheese and crackers that are promised every week after the service, Uh, so maybe there's a few of you that share that same reason. There was a man named Nicodemus uh, who once had to examine why he came to Jesus, Why he came to Jesus under cover of darkness, he came to discover who Jesus is, to to learn under under this rabbi, under this teacher, for just a little while. Now, Now, Nicodemus, a few things about him. He was a Pharisee, right? So he was a part of a kind of political, religious body uh, that cared about the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, and making sure that people were living it out every single day. He was also a member of the Jewish ruling council. That means he was intelligent. He had some authority. He had some sway. Uh, He was a man of standing in his his city, in his culture. Uh, And yet, I think it's also fair to say that Perhaps he was a good man, or he would be considered a good man uh, because he honored the scripture. But he he also doesn't judge Jesus like some of the other Pharisees do. They kind of brush Jesus off. They condemn Jesus very quickly. And what do we see? What do we see Nicodemus, Nicodemus doing? He's he's like this open-minded person. He's genuinely interested in hearing what Jesus has to say for himself. Maybe some of us see a little bit of ourselves in Nicodemus that we've come to learn who Jesus is that we're uh, you know we're not we're not dumb we're we're intelligent we we want to learn we want to we want to hear the words of God we want to think through it ourselves we want to analyze it ourselves Uh, we maybe we consider ourselves good people or open-minded people if you could answer uh, some of those questions in the yes, then I think my first uh, point from this passage tonight applies to you, that you've come to Jesus wondering who he is. You've come here tonight saying, who is this Jesus? Maybe if you're a regular church attender and this is more of a habit, maybe you've come here to kind of remember who Jesus is, to be reminded of what the, Bible's ha- the Bible has to say about him. But there's one problem. There's one problem for Nicodemus that that prevents him from clearly understanding who Jesus is. And that's he is spiritually blind. He's spiritually blind. He he doesn't get it. He, he can't understand. See, Nicodemus came at night. Now, the author of this gospel, John. He's not just saying the time when Nicodemus came. He's also saying something about who Nicodemus is. He's telling us a little bit about the spiritual state of Nicodemus. If we read elsewhere in John, darkness or night reveals this, this, this life that's separate from God, that's separate from, from the light of Christ Jesus. And just practically speaking, like why do we do things at night? Because we don't want others to see us, right? That's when we get in trouble. That's when we do things we regret. We do them at night. So I wanted to tell you about one of the things I did at night that I now uh, a little regret as a, as a teenager. <laughs> my brothers, uh, one of my brother and a couple of our friends, we had this great idea. One night, uh, my hometown of Estes Park, Colorado, it's not a big town, you know, maybe a, a mile long. We said, we're going to get dressed up in camo. And dark clothing, and we're going to sneak through the middle of town without getting seen. Like, we're going to go from one end of town to the other end of town and stay invisible. That was our goal, and we lasted about 30 seconds before someone spotted us. So we did not make it, but we did it at night because we didn't want anyone to see us. We, we wanted to be secretive. Uh, I think we wanted to be cool, too, but I, I don't think we uh, did a very good job of that. Nicodemus is doing this at night because he doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't want to be seen by his fellow rulers, his fellow members of that Jewish council. He doesn't want them to, to think thoughts about him of like, well, you know, maybe Nicodemus is going astray. Maybe Nicodemus isn't as intelligent as we thought. See, even more importantly than that, there's something dark going inside Nicodemus's heart. It's not just night on the outside, it's night on the inside. He is spiritually blind. He doesn't know who Jesus is. I want to read the first two verses again for you so you can look down and read it along with me. Verses one and two. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So Nicodemus doesn't come right out and say, you know, who are you, Jesus? But it's implied in his words. It's it's, it's kind of, if you read behind it, saying, "Yeah, we know that you're from God, but we don't really know who you are. Who are you, Jesus. I think that's a question that all of us need to ask, and I hope that you're asking it right now. Who are you, Jesus? And the answer Jesus gives is actually different than what we would expect. He doesn't just say, well, here, this is the answer. Here, this is who I am. Instead, Jesus gives us this answer. He says, to get into God's kingdom, you have to be born again. Verse 3. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Instead of telling Nicodemus what he wants to hear, Jesus just calls him out. He says, you've got it all wrong. You think you came here knowing everything about God and his kingdom? Well, I'm about to change your world. I'm going to change how you think things are supposed to operate and reveal how reality really works how God's kingdom, how the heavenly kingdom really functions. You don't know half of what you know, or of what you think you know. And I hope that's a challenge to us tonight. I hope we hear that as individual, individuals that me personally. I don't know half of what I think I know. Jesus wants us to take a, a humble pill. To say, wow, Jesus, what can you teach me Today, through your word, through your scriptures. And what does Jesus say? He says, in order to see God's kingdom, in order to understand, in order to really get it, you have to be born again. I want to tell you that if you want to understand Christianity, if you want to understand Christ, if you want to understand the Bible, you need to be born again. And if you're a human being like Nicodemus, maybe you're thinking, you're crazy. <laughs> this is crazy. Like You've already got the weird religious talk going on. This is the most ridiculous statement I have ever heard. And this is, this is how Nicodemus uh, responds uh, in verse 4. He says, how can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked, surely you cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born so last week I went to the seminary I went to the Achengay Institute we had a retreat we discussed ministry in New England and one of the things we discussed was this kind of idea of being born again and what people in like Boston and New England think of this idea of having to be born again now I want to show you a little data it's a little outdated but this is the data they shared with us then I have some more modern data to share as well It says, fewer people in New England say they have had a born-again experience, 16.5% compared to 36.5% for the nation. So this is a study over the the course of years uh, into the early 90s. And maybe this is encouraging, actually, to you, because that means roughly, you know, one in five people, perhaps one in six, would consider themselves to have had a born-again experience. Maybe you can relate to this personally uh, if you've ever you know, shared your faith and said, I'm a born-again believer, I'm a born-again Christian. I don't usually introduce uh, myself that way, but Monica actually had a, uh, an interesting experience that she told me about uh, this week. Uh, one time when she was inviting people to uh, the program Christianity Explored, so Christianity explored is designed for people that don't know Jesus to introduce them to a book of the Bible. You read the whole book uh, together, and you discuss it. There's some videos. Uh, she was handing out an invitation to her coworker, and her her coworker like looked at the invitation. Now, this is an old job. She looked up at Monica and in horror said, "You're not one of those born agains, are you?" <laughs> uh, to which Monica, my wife, said, "Yep." I am, uh, and it was awkward. Now, the Achengay program didn't define uh, what born again means. They say it's some sort of experience. But the Barna group, so this is a more modern group, in 2015 they published the state report on Massachusetts, and they define what born again means according to their study. This is what they say born again, born again people say they have made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ that is still important in their life today and believe that when they die, they will go to heaven because they have confessed their sins and accepted Jesus as their Savior. So this is how they in this study uh, understand what it means to be born again. And they report that 22% of Massachusetts identifies itself as born again and nationwide, 41%. So... uh, Maybe uh, that's growing in Massachusetts, I'm not really sure, but one in five is not bad. So this is what these studies, these things that we discussed mean. There's not a a great deal of people, if you went to other parts of the country, you would find more people that identify as born again, so the opportunity is great, right? Right? But that also means there's a responsibility for us as a church to help people understand what it means to be born again, whether or not they choose to believe or accept it. But we should at least try to educate and share what it means to be born again. Now, that's what this study defined born again as, uh, you know, uh, belief in Jesus Christ His death and resurrection. But what does Jesus define being born again as? What does the the Scriptures have to say? This leads me to uh, my next point, that the Holy Spirit must completely cleanse and transform you from the inside out. So let's read verses 5 through 7. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, You must be born again. Now, when you read this, maybe you think, Ah, this is a little bit Confusing, because it is. Now, what does Jesus do? In verse 5, he says, you have to be born of the water and of spirit. And then in verse 7, he says, well, you shouldn't be surprised at my saying this. Now, he's addressing Nicodemus. Remember, Nicodemus understood the Hebrew scriptures, the, what we would today call the Old Testament And so there must be something in the Old Testament that helps us understand what it means to be uh, cleansed by water and the Spirit. And we actually already read this verse in our our, uh, worship service tonight, but I want to read these couple verses to you from Ezekiel. So this is an Old Testament book. This is a prophet. And he says this. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And this is on behalf of God, this prophet is speaking. And you will be clean I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So this prophet prophesied this passage probably 500 years before the birth of Jesus, even over that. And what is he doing here? He's saying that that someone's going to come who's going to cleanse you and going to transform you. So maybe some of you, when you read this passage in John about being born of water and the Spirit, you think, oh, do I have to get baptized in order to be saved? Well, no. Water baptism does nothing for our salvation. But spiritual water applied by the Holy Spirit, can cleanse you of your sins. The Holy Spirit comes in and just radically transforms your life. Christianity is not an add-on to our lives. It's a renovation of our entire being. I'm gonna give you a a new heart. I'm gonna give you a new spirit. You're You're gonna follow my decrees and you're gonna be careful to keep my laws. You're gonna obey me You're going to honor me with your whole life. So uh, what's my definition of being born again? My definition is this, to be born again is for the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in you, cleanse you of your sins, and to completely transform you from the inside out through faith in Christ Jesus. This is what it means to be a born-again Christian. Maybe some of you consider yourselves a born-again Christian. Christian. Well, that's good. That's great. Maybe some of you are just searching here tonight, and that's wonderful, too. Now you understand. What does it mean to be a born-again Christian? It means to be completely cleansed of your sins through the Holy Spirit, through faith in Christ Jesus. See, everything in Christianity, everything in the Bible, ultimately points to Jesus. From the first chapters of the Bible to the last, it's a story of a broken world that, that was created good. In Genesis, the world was created good and perfect. And then humanity, humankind, we broke it. And Adam and Eve, we introduced sin by disobeying God, by rebelling against God. And ever since then, all of humanity has been saying, I'm going to do life my way instead of God's way. And we've just been introducing pain and hurt and frustration into this world. We've, we've been alienated from our, our perfect relationship that we should have with our Heavenly Father. And so God had a plan. God had a plan to, to heal that relationship, to bring us back into communion, to bring us back into fellowship with God, and it centered on His Son. His Son, Christ Jesus, stepped into this world, took on, on human flesh, became a little baby boy at Christmas time, lived a life. In perfect obedience, like he, he, he's the only actual good person to ever live. Nicodemus, at the end of the day, isn't a good person because he's sinful and broken, but he's, he's sitting right next to the one who is Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus do? He, he lived a perfect life, and then he went to the cross to be a sacrifice for our sins, to take our sin, our brokenness upon himself. So, that through repenting of our sins, that means saying, I am broken, I need a Savior. By repenting of our sins and putting our faith on Jesus Christ, saying, Jesus, it's your good life, it's not my good life that counts, that we can have salvation. Our foundation verse earlier, maybe you remember it, it says, For by grace we have been saved. You know what that means? means there's nothing that we can do as good people or as intelligent people or as open-minded people to earn our salvation. But there's a good God who sent his good son into this world to, to pay the penalty for our sins and to redeem us. To purchase our lives for eternity. And it's that good news that just radically transforms our lives, that when that gets into our hearts, the Holy Spirit just uses us, just uses, uses that message to just change us, so that no longer do I want to live a life in obedience to myself, just living my way, because that's naturally leading towards sin. I want to I walk towards God's way, because God designed everything, and, and everything God's way is actually what's best for me, what's best for this world, that we're, when we're living a life of loving God and loving each other, we're going to be changed. We're going to be transformed. This whole world's going to be changed. That's the message of Christianity. That's what we call the gospel, the good news. And it begins with the Holy Spirit doing something inside our hearts to help us believe and to begin to change us through faith in Christ Jesus. This is a heavenly message. (laughs) This is a message that's from above. In fact, that word in our passage, when Jesus says you must be born again, that word can also mean you must be born from above. I I don't know about you, but me and my own sins, I am not born from above. I am born in this world. I am born in my sin, like my carnal nature, my fleshly broken nature. And so in order to get to God, I have to be born from above. I have to have have God somehow give birth to me spiritually. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He gives birth to us. And I wanted to show you some of the signs of of what happens when you're born through the Holy Spirit, when you're born again. You begin to do what is right with your life. And I don't mean you just become a moral person. I mean you become a, a person who wants to... Live life for Jesus. You begin to turn from your sins and turn to God. and you say, that, that old, I don't want to live in that old nature, that old selfish, like me-centered nature. I want to live in a nature that's transformed by God. You begin to love one another. <laughs> that's such a nice thing, but it's so hard sometimes. <laughs> we don't always do a good job of loving one another. We want to... We want to recognize that as we're born again, we also overcome the world. That doesn't mean some sort of like, uh, you know, conquest of the world. That just means that through faith in Christ Jesus, we'll be spiritually delivered, but then the brokenness in our world, the sin in our world will be overcome one day. Those who are born again believe that Jesus is the Messiah, God's only chosen Savior, Messiah is a a Jewish term that we find in the scriptures. Christ actually means Messiah. To say Jesus is the Christ, you're saying Jesus is the Messiah, this this long-awaited son who was to come and deliver people from sin. So these are the signs of what it means to be born again. So as you look at your own heart, do you recognize that you're born again? Or do you think, wow, maybe, maybe actually I'm not, I, I haven't turned from my sins, I'm, I don't really trust Jesus. Well, this is how we know, if we're born again. As part of this program, the Ockenge Fellows Program, we read a biography. It's a biography of George Whitfield. if you still wanted to write some of those notes down, they'll be on the website later. Uh, But George Whitefield, uh, here's a a painting of him. Uh, He was one of the greatest preachers of the Great Awakening. Now, the Great Awakening happened in the 1730s and 40s in England and the colonies. Uh, And if there was one central message of his preaching, it's that you had to be born again. Now, we're familiar with this message. Some of us are. But this was just a radically strange and amazing message in his culture because people had just kind of gotten into the motions, right? They'd begun to believe that I just have to be a good person and go to church and pray and fast. If I do those things, well, I am guaranteed to go to heaven, right? And Whitfield came along and said, no, <laughs> something inside of you has to change. The Holy Spirit has to, has to renovate your heart. That's what it means to be a Christian, and this just captivated people. People, when they heard George Whitfield was preaching, would just like leave their plowshares and like leave what they were doing and just ride as fast as they could to go hear him. And thousands and thousands of people, talking tens, twenties, and 30,000 people would come and hear him preach. And so I wanted to read a little bit from one of his sermons uh, on the new birth, on what he would say to us today if he was preaching about Nicodemus so it's a little bit old English but I'll try to explain it as we go along so his message he says this he says for supposing we were as Nicodemus ignorantly imagined to enter a second time into our mother's womb and be born what would it contribute towards rending us spiritually new creatures since that which was born of the flesh would still be flesh We should be the same carnal persons as ever, being derived from carnal parents and consequently receiving the seeds of all manner of sin and corruption from them. No, it only means that we must be so altered as to the qualities and tempers of our minds that we must entirely forget what manner of persons we once were, as it may be said, of a piece of gold that was once in the ore, after it has been cleansed, purified, and polished, that it is a new piece of gold, as it may be said of a bright glass that has been covered over with filth, when it is wiped and so become transparent and clear that it is a new glass. In other words, our, our lives, our minds have to be completely changed like, like, like a rock that's, that's dirty and then you begin to polish it and work away the debris and you realize there's gold there. That's what the transformation of of the new birth is like. And then he went on in in his sermon to say, it's not about those religious acts that we sometimes do. It's not about fasting in itself or taking the Lord's Supper in itself. It's not about praying or being a moral and good person. It's not even about calling yourself a Christian or never hurting other people. Instead, it's about true faith in Christ Jesus that changes you from the inside out. In other words, we don't practice religion for religion's sake. We don't practice religion to be good people. We read our Bibles, we pray, we fast, we take the Lord's Supper to encounter the living God. He goes on to say this. He says, let each of us, therefore, seriously put this question to our hearts. Have we received the Holy Ghost, since we believed. Are we new creatures in Christ or not? At least, if we are not so yet, it is our daily endeavor to become such. Do we constantly and conscientiously use all the means of grace required thereto? Do we fast, watch, and pray? Do we not lazily seek but laboriously strive to enter into the straight gate? In short, do we renounce our own righteousness, take up our crosses, and follow Jesus? If so, we are in that narrow way which leads to life. The good seed is sown in our hearts and will, if duly watered and nourished by regular persevering, use all the means of grace to grow up to eternal life. In other words, what we do here is a pathway for knowing Christ Jesus, for receiving eternal life through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must completely cleanse and transform you from the inside out. Maybe you wonder, can God do this? Can God do this in my heart? My heart's sinful. My heart's broken. Can God do this in our world? Can God do this in our community? Can God bring revival once again? Well, verse 8 says this. It says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And the message is simple, that God's Spirit can change us. I invite Caleb up to just get us ready to, to go to worship. The word for wind or Spirit is the word pneuma in the Greek. Pneuma. Now, what do you know about the wind? You can't see it. <laughs> But you can feel it like on a blustery cold day and your nose gets cold, you can feel the wind as it whips by or if you lose a hat and it goes tumbling, like you can, you can see the wind in action. And what John 3 is saying is that if the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and changes us, you're gonna see a difference. <laughs> you're gonna see God at work transforming you, helping you repent of your sins and grow in what it means to walk with Jesus every day. I believe that God can change your heart, that God can change our hearts. I believe that God can change this world, that God can change this city. I believe that revival can happen. And it happens with just one person. (laughs) One person starts a revival when they begin to put their faith in Christ Jesus. And so I wanna ask you a question, are you that one person? Are you the one person that needs to come to Christ Jesus tonight? If you are, I want to challenge you to come sit in one of these front chairs so that I can pray with you. You can do that when I'm praying so that no one has to see you or you can come right now and you can sit down front. And if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and your heart has grown cold, (laughs) you need to remember what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit or you need to know that afresh, you can also come down. and I would love to pray with you, pray for you. So that that you know that the Holy Spirit really is in you and really is working through you. So while you're debating that in your head, I want to encourage us as a church to be a little bit more like the Holy Spirit. It says, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. That means we need to follow the Holy Spirit, right? If he's like the wind and he goes wherever he wants, then... If we sense the Holy Spirit going a certain direction, we need to follow him. And usually it means getting outside of these walls, getting out into our communities, getting out into this world to share the message of Christ. I want to follow the Holy Spirit. I want to be full of the Holy Spirit. And if that's you, whether you know Jesus or not, just come on down. Come sit in one of these chairs. The Holy Spirit must completely cleanse and transform us from the inside out I'm going to pray you can continue to play Heavenly Father thank you for your word thank you for your Holy Spirit would you renovate our hearts would you completely change us and transform us from the inside out and if there is anyone here tonight that needs to know you as their Lord and Savior who needs to be born again would you do that we first recognize that this is a work of the Holy Spirit this isn't a work of us our intellect, our good deeds our open mindedness, we can't come to you but if the Holy Spirit comes if the Holy Spirit blows in this place if the Holy Spirit moves we can see a revival we can see people come to know you Lord I pray for those believers who need to be filled once more with the Holy Spirit You soften their hearts, fill their hearts. Help us humble ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you you rise for the final song?